this morning, we are actually set to start a new sermon series in the book of Isaiah, and uh, it's called The Servant, The Servant. And so I was talking to my kids, actually, uh, this, this week, and I said, what should I preach on this week? It's kind of a strange week. And one of them said, well, why don't you just preach what you were going to preach on? <laughs> and as I, as I looked at it, you know what? I think God actually has a lot to say exactly from this passage and from this series. It's a very timely thing for us to look at. Um, one of the reasons I chose to preach on Isaiah, and we're calling it the servant, the gospel according to Isaiah, uh, is as we move towards Easter, which is just a couple weeks away, and, and you all know how much things change from week to week after a week like this. Easter's only a couple weeks away. I thought it would be really, uh, I think the Lord led us to, as a church to, to put our focus on this Messiah, this Savior, this person named Jesus who came to save us. We want to focus in on him. And I thought one of the best ways we can do that is look at the promises that were made in the Old Testament and then just see how amazing it is the way that Jesus Christ came to fulfill them. And so that's why we call this the gospel according to Isaiah. You might think when you read the New Testament, that's where the gospel is, the good news about Jesus. Well, I'm here to tell you all of Scripture proclaims the same thing. And that is the good news that God has sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. And, and Isaiah uh, proclaims that in a really, really powerful way. So this morning as we begin this service, you know, uh, or this series, uh, I think it's easy to, or we want to stop and just say this. I think uh, after a week like this, I want to ask, what have you been focusing on? What have you been focusing? Where is your focus? Uh, here's a picture for you, uh, this image of the coronavirus, right? You've seen this picture on the news. Uh, not only have you seen this picture, you've heard news stories. You've read uh, emails from us, emails from your school. You've had phone calls from your employers. Um, a lot of communication. And, and here's the deal. <laughs> on a week like this, it's very easy to say, well, my focus has been on the coronavirus, on COVID-19. And I think that's probably true for many of us. Uh, it's, it's affected us in many ways. But what I think we need to realize this morning is that when you focus on something like this and put all your energy into focusing on it and trying to understand it and try to deal with it, uh, that can lead to a lot of fear, maybe fear about your own health or health of your loved ones. Um, these are kind of valid things. Fear of, uh, as Randy mentioned, uh, finances. Maybe you're not going to work right now because work is shut down. Maybe you rely on your retirement funds and they've been uh, reduced this week, shall we say. So we can focus on fear. We can focus on the news. How many of you spent hours this week looking at the news and reading the news? I'm, I'm, I'll raise my hand, okay? So it's easy for us to focus on the things that are right in front of us. Um, but I want us this morning to turn our focus. And what I want us to do is, is really to challenge you not only today but in the days ahead to focus on Jesus, focus on our hope, focus on our Savior. That's what we were planning to do anyways before any of this all happened. And I think it's even more important in the midst of this time uh, for us to do that. Focus on Jesus. There's a catechism book we used to do with our kids. Uh, it's called the New City Catechism put out by Tim Keller. And I think one of the very first questions in the book was, what is our only hope in life and in death? And the answer to that question is that we are not our, not our own, but we belong to God. And so for those of you who have faith in Jesus Christ, we want to focus on that hope, our only hope that we have in life and in death, and that is Jesus Christ.
So uh, as a church, before we get into Isaiah, I have some verses I kind of want to just suggest to you to make these verses that you memorize, make these verses that you meditate on, make them uh, verses that you pray through. Uh, and these would be uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which talks about this very thing. And I'm going to read them out loud. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What I want us to do is really to do what that first line in verse 2 says, is look to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. No matter what every day holds, uh, look to Jesus. That first verse, if we can go back to that, uh, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. You know, the thing about most races, uh, we have a lot of people in here who've run marathons, half marathons, 5Ks, uh, sprints. I'm more of a sprint guy. Um, <laughs> is the thing with most races is you know how long it's going to be. You know, after a marathon at mile 26.2, you are done. At the end of that 100-meter dash, you you cross the line and you're finished. The race is over. But when you're in uncertain times like this, looking at something like coronavirus, uh, we don't know where the finish line is. Uh, and so run with endurance the race that is set before you. We don't know where the race will end, how it will end. Actually, I take that back. We do know how it will end. Um, if you know Jesus, you know exactly how the race will end. We don't know when it will end, though. And so uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look to Jesus. That's why we've gathered here this morning. And, and you know, on a morning like this, you realize how much we take for granted the ability to gather together. You know, from week to week, how many of you thought last week, well, I wonder if we're going to be able to meet next week? Anybody in this room? I don't think. If you did, you had more foresight than I did. For sure, two weeks ago, none of us could have ever conceived of the idea of trying to decide whether or not we should have church because of a disease. So we take for granted this this thing of meeting together. And so I'm glad we get to meet together as a faith family and look to Jesus. Uh, and I would encourage you in the days ahead, wherever you are and wherever you go, look to Jesus. And uh, And again, I'm grateful for the chance to do that together here in this place this morning. So you might be asking just a couple words about what our plan is as a church. Uh, what is our plan? And I, I would just say this. We kind of have three things we want to encourage you as our people to be. Uh, the first is to be a people of prayer. Okay. To be a people of prayer. Today's actually a, been declared a day of prayer. We've already had a corporate prayer. But I would just say uh, as much as any time, uh, be people of prayer. Last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20. Um, it says, at all times and in all ways, uh, make supplications for all the saints, be praying at all times. God repeats that over and over in scripture. And I think especially at a time such as this. And so as I've encouraged you before, uh, I think one of the great things to do is pray scripture, pray things like uh, the last or the second to last song we sang was Psalm 34. Pray through that Psalm, uh, Psalm 90, uh, Psalm 46, pray these Psalms. Uh, that's a great way to, to, to pray and lift up things to God. Um, pray for our leaders. Pray for our national leaders, health leaders. Pray for our church leaders. Uh, pray for your family. Pray for people. Um, it says make supplications at all time for all people. Um, and then uh, 
I would just say to be praying that the gospel goes forward in a powerful way here. You know, when, when people have to focus on life and on the fragility of life, it, it opens up uh, an opportunity to share the gospel. And so pray that the gospel goes forward. The good news about Jesus goes forward in this time. Uh, and, and we'll be talking more about that in a minute. Uh, also stay tuned on the website. Hopefully we can put some sort of prayer guide and some prayer requests and things online, especially if for some reason uh, we're not able to meet uh, in the days ahead. Uh, on that note, um, you know, meetings like this and other ministries are kind of going to be week by week. So just stay tuned and, and, and keep checking the website. People of prayer, but secondly, people of care. I think this is what God calls us to be, uh, especially in a time like this. So what does that look like? Um, I think within our church family, check on each other, you know, the best you can. Check in on your family members, check in on your church members. Um, you're probably going to have to do more phone calling if we're not allowed to meet in, in person. But just be people who are caring for each other as we best know how. And we'll be trying to figure out ways that as a church we can do that strategically in the days ahead to make sure that we're taking care of each other. But also, even more than that, caring for the for our neighbors around us. Uh, caring for our neighbors around us. And, um, you know, sometimes that looks like maybe food or bringing supplies to some people or uh, opening up and sharing the gospel with somebody who doesn't have the hope that you have. Um, so care for people, particularly caring uh, for their spiritual needs. And and I would even say this idea of following, uh, of, of caring for people is uh, being a people of care, is following the guidance and the recommendations of our authorities uh, because we love our neighbors. We want to do, we want to be good neighbors. We want to love uh, our neighbors as we want to be loved ourselves. So be people of prayer, people of care. And then uh, the last thing is, I would just say during this time, let's be people of the word. Uh, throughout history, whether in good times or bad, God, God's people have turned to his word for encouragement. And so now more than ever, I would encourage you, spend time with him in his word. We know he wants to speak to you through his word. Um, some of you find yourselves with more time on your hands because you can't travel, you can't work. Uh, you can't go to school. Spend extra time in the Word and, and listen to what God wants to say. Uh, and, and I would just say, as we've said before, read God's Word, memorize God's Word, meditate on God's Word, and then, as I already said, pray God's Word. We're going to be doing some things online that can hopefully help you with this. Uh, we already, you know, have a subscription to Right Now Media. If you haven't taken advantage of that, go to our website. It's a great online resource with uh, with discipleship opportunities, video studies, and things you can do. So we actually have a channel that we're putting together to recommend different things for our for our church family to use. And there's just really thousands of options there. So there are ways you can continue to grow in the Word uh, even during this time. Um, and then, of course, uh, if for some reason we're not able to meet next Sunday or other Sundays, we, we'll try to continue having an online community of worship in some way. And, uh, and I'm grateful again for the, for the things that have been put in place even this week. So, um, I guess just one last summarizing slide about our, our plan is, is this idea of communication, communication, communication. We want to make sure that everyone knows what the plan is. So check the website. Email Trinity if you're not, or email uh, Amy if you're not getting the, the updates. And then uh, I would just say, personally, communicate with one another. That's something we can't really programize. Uh, that's something that we just want you to do to care for one another, care for your friends, check on your friends, check on your neighbors, uh, and, and communicate that way. 
So our plan is to be people of prayer, people of care, and people of the word. And that's what we want to do right now as we turn back to God's word, uh, is just this idea of realizing that God wants to encourage us with a message from his word this morning. And so uh, we're going to look at at Isaiah 42 in just a second. But if you don't mind, uh, I would actually love for all of you to stand. And let's uh, say Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 together. I'm going to put that up on the screen one more time. And let's just all read that together uh, and kind of... really use that as our as our goal for these days ahead. So let's read together Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning we want to again turn to God's word, and and we don't want to be a people of fear, but we want to be a people of courage, and I think we gain that when we look at the promises that God's made in his word. So this morning we're going to be looking at Isaiah. Uh, We're going to focus, as I said, on Jesus. Look to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. But before we actually get to our text, I want to go through just a couple slides and a couple thoughts of about the book of Isaiah. Okay. So the book of Isaiah, first of all, who is Isaiah? This is, this is an old Testament book. You know, if you've been around church very long, you realize it seems like as churches, we tend to camp out in the new Testament a lot. So this is one of those prophets and the old Testament, one of the longer books in the old Testament. Uh, and so who is this guy named Isaiah? Well, first of all, he's not anonymous. Uh, Isaiah chapter 1 verse 1 says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Israel. So this is really interesting the way he introduces himself at the beginning of the book. He says, I was a prophet during the reign of four different kings. And, you know, we might think of kings like, you know, presidents. So at the most, that would be Four times eight, if a president had eight years, that'd be 32 years maximum, which would be a pretty long career, right? Um, Well, the reality is uh, his career, his ministry span probably was more like 60 or 70 years because kings ruled for a lifetime. It wasn't like they changed kings every four years. So he he had a ministry across the board for 60 or 70 years. And and even that list of names that you see on the screen there... uh, most of those guys were bad guys, if you will. They were kings that did not follow the Lord. Uh, they strayed from the Lord. And so Isaiah uh, brought this message of, of really confrontation and said, y'all, turn back to the Lord. Follow him. Um, if you want to read more about Isaiah and kind of the time he lived in, look at Second Chronicles 25 through 33. There's a lot in there. That's kind of the time frame of those kings. Uh, and you can get a lot of background information. Who is Isaiah's audience, though? Uh, first of all, he's writing to these kings, and he's kind of confronting them and saying, y'all in leadership, you got some problems here. Uh, you're not leading the people in the right way. In fact, you're leading them away from the Lord. Uh, he's also writing to the people of Judah and saying, you all are following bad leaders. Turn to the Lord. Don't follow those leaders. Um, and uh, And here's the other thing. The most important thing, I think, is he's writing to future readers. This is the word of God. And so he is writing to you. And to me, and to every one of you who's sitting here, anyone who picks up a Bible, he was writing to you. And I think God has a message for us today. And so what is that message? If you want to boil it all down into kind of two phrases, uh, one is he says, serve the Lord. 
He tells the people, you are, you were created to serve the Lord, but you're not doing it. So serve the Lord. It's a continual call to serve the Lord. And then secondly, to trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Is there anyone here this morning who needs to hear that word? That we need to trust the Lord. There's a lot of things out there right now that are scary. Things that lead to fear. And you know, the, the opposite of fear is not bravery. The opposite of fear is trust. The opposite of fear is trust. And God says, if you're experiencing fear this morning, the solution is to trust me. Put your hope in me. Put your trust in me. One uh, snapshot of, of Israel's history. You know, we read the Old Testament and you might think it's kind of all packed into one thing. The timeline of the Old Testament kind of shows us that Isaiah is just this one little small thing, actually pretty close to the end of the Old Testament. He's living about six, seven hundred years before Jesus was born. And so when you look at that, he comes really at the tail end of Israel's history uh, and, and speaks to God's people in that way. What he does, again, I'm just trying to show you the big picture of the book. He begins the book with messages of condemnation. He says, people, you're getting it wrong. Turn to, turn to God. Turn to the Lord. Trust the Lord. Middle part of the book is a historical transition where you have a couple of stories. And, and it really kind of illustrates the point that even the good guys still mess up. They're not good enough. They still keep making mistakes and trying to trust themselves. And then because they mess up, God says, well, you're going to go into exile. And so while you're in exile, let me give you some messages of consolation, really some messages of comfort. Again, uh, anyone here this morning who wants to hear a message of comfort, a message of, uh, of reassurance, which is what God gives in these passages. So um, you saw our title of our series is called The Servant. So what are we talking about? Who is the servant? Basically, there's this whole thing in Isaiah is this. God says to his people over and over again, you've messed up. Let me give you another chance. And they mess up again. He said, okay, you messed up again. Let me give you another chance. And they just keep messing up over and over and over again. Uh, sound like any lives in here? <laughs> and, uh, and God says, the only solution to this is if I send someone who can fix this. And that's when he introduces the servant, this person we call the servant. Uh, he called Israel to be his servant. He says, the nation of Israel, I tried to use you as my servant, but you have failed me over and over again. So I'm going to send this person called the servant. And so in the book of Isaiah, there are four passages that are really key to understanding this. These are what we call the four servant songs. They're kind of just short little snippets where God says, I'm going to introduce my servant to you and let me tell you about what he's going to do. And again, Keep in mind, this was written six or seven hundred years before Jesus was born. Um, and so you have these four passages. We're going to look at the first one today, and then the plan is over the next three weeks following this to look at one more each week uh, and, and kind of get to know what Scripture tells us about this servant. You know, in Jesus' own words, when Jesus came and started doing his ministry and teaching, Jesus says he identifies himself as the servant. So Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, The whole reason I came was to serve you. 
was to serve you. And we're going to see in the weeks ahead exactly what that ended up looking like. And, of course, that culminates in, in Good Friday and Easter with him serving us in the ultimate way. So that brings us to our passage for today. That's all background. I wanted you to hear just a little bit of where Isaiah is, com- Isaiah is coming from and where he's going. And then I want us to look at just these four verses for a few minutes to talk about what is the message God wants us to hear this morning uh, in this first servant song. So uh, you can follow along on the screens as I read, or you can just look in your Bibles. But I want to read to you uh, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. It says this, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the word of the Lord. So you you hear those verses and you might say, well, that didn't seem like a major announcement to me. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of a little little snippet of, of the whole book of Isaiah. But let me tell you what God's doing here is introducing this figure who turns out to be Jesus Christ and telling us that everything is going to change because of this one person. Because of this servant, everything changes. And so uh, what I want us to see this morning is just a couple things. And the first thing is that this servant that God is sending, this servant is on a mission. God says, I'm sending this servant for a very specific purpose. Uh, and you can kind of see that just by the way he, he uh, introduces him. So if you look in your Bible, Isaiah 42, verse 1, notice that first word there. It says, behold. Does everybody's Bible say that? Behold. Uh, you may have some another word, but basically the idea here is when you see that word in the Old Testament, it's basically God saying, hey, hey, everybody, look over here. Look, look right here. Look here. Everybody focus on this. Look at this. Um, he's saying, get, I want to get your attention. You need to pay attention to this. Behold, my servant, pay attention to him. Again, that thought from from Hebrews 12, look to him, focus on him. What are you focusing on this morning? Jesus said, or God says this morning, behold, focus on my servant. Now, here's where it gets real interesting. If you look at the verse right before that, Isaiah 40, verse 29, same word, right? It starts with, behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. And you might say, what's that all about? So the book, the, uh, Isaiah 41 is God talking to his people. He's saying, you all have kind of messed up. In fact, you all are pursuing idols. Instead of worshiping the living God, you are worshiping idols made out of gold and silver and wood. And guess what? Those things are not going to do anything for you. You've put your trust in the wrong thing. So the one chapter ends by saying, behold, those things are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. Behold, look at that. Look at those things. Hey, let me get your attention. When you trust in those things, it leads to nothing. When you trust in anything besides the living God, it leads to nothing. Don't trust in, uh, don't place your ultimate trust in our government or the medical care you receive. God says the only true hope you have for all eternity, the only thing you can truly trust forever and ever, our only hope in life and in death is trusting in the Lord and in the servant that he sent. So behold those works that are a delusion, those idols. But now the contrast, behold my servant the one who can actually help you. 
the one who will help you. So he introduces his servant here and he says, uh, I'm sending him on a mission. First of all, we see he has chosen, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. He's chosen by God. God says, this is the one I've chosen and I've brought him into existence or I brought him here to, uh, to, to solve the problem. His mission is to establish justice. He will bring forth justice to the nations. A couple things there. When you think about this idea of justice, what does that mean? You know, humans always say, well, I want justice. You know, if you've ever heard anybody who's been wrong, they say, I want justice. I want, I want, basically the idea is I want the things that are wrong to be made right. Okay. And so when God talks about justice in the Old Testament and about his servant coming to establish justice, he's basically saying this servant is going to come and establish God's rule over everything and everything will actually be right the way it's supposed to be. That sounds like a dream, doesn't it? If everything was right, there'd be no more sickness, no more crime, no more broken marriages, no more broken relationships, um, no more sin. If he, when God's justice is established for all time, everything will be as it should be. And God says, my servant is coming to do that, to establish God's rule over everything. What I love, though, is it says he's bringing forth justice to the nations. Now, remember Isaiah as a prophet to the Israelites, to the Jewish people. <laughs> but we're going to see in the weeks ahead that God says it's, in fact, one of the songs says it's too small of a thing for me just to redeem this one group of people. I want to provide redemption to the whole world, to all nations. I'm going to establish justice, not just in Palestine. I'm going to establish justice all over the whole world. And I love the way it kind of, if you will, evolves in this passage. It says, uh, in verse 1, I will bring forth justice. Skip down to verse 3. Again, it says, he will faithfully bring forth justice. And then you get to verse 4. It says, till he has established justice. And that's a much stronger word. It's this idea of it's, it's really going to be a process. In fact, we know that, don't we? Even with the coming of Jesus, he brought what was truly right into the world. But if we look around us, the world's still broken, isn't it? He won the first victory, the ultimate victory has been accomplished, but we still live in a broken world waiting for the final arrival of that justice. He will establish it. You know, what's interesting is the New Testament confirms this, this actual passage in multiple places. It's brought up several times. And you might even say, if you were reading the Old Testament, reading the book of Isaiah, and you'd say, how do you know that this is talking about Jesus? I mean, couldn't that be talking about a king or something else? Um, well, when you turn to the New Testament, you see that this is confirmed, that this servant in Isaiah 42, who's being introduced here, uh, is Jesus. Because we see that Jesus' mission is the same mission that the servant gets. Uh, flipping your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. Uh, you'll see the image on the screen is this, this picture of Jesus' baptism. So in Matthew 3, when Jesus comes for baptism, again, uh, this is really kind of Jesus' official introduction to the nation of Israel, his official introduction as the Messiah. He comes and, and he's baptized and is really officially recognized by John the Baptist and others as, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is his introduction. So again, in Isaiah 42, we have the introduction of the servant. Matthew 3, we have the introduction of Jesus. Now look at the connections between these two things. Uh, the baptism of Jesus is down here, starting verse 13. And so Jesus, in verse 16, 
John, uh, Matthew 3.16 says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, there's that word behold again. The heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Now, did you hear some of those same words that God said in Isaiah 42? This, this is the one I've chosen, the one I am pleased in, um, in whom my soul delights, that idea of being pleased. I have put my spirit on him. So the baptism of Jesus, when Jesus kind of is introduced to the world as this Messiah who's coming, we see this connection very strongly between that and, uh, and Isaiah 42. Another place is in Matthew 17. Flip over to Matthew 17. Um, this is an event we call the transfiguration. Okay, so Moses, uh, or Jesus goes up on a mountaintop with uh, Peter, James, and John. And while they're up there, Moses and Elijah show up. And they're glowing. It's, it's so interesting to read this. It says that uh, Jesus was, tra- uh, so this is Matthew 17, verse 2. Jesus was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Matthew is just like grasping for words to describe how, how bright this was. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. And then you skip down uh, to verse 5. He was still speaking when, uh, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So this morning, when you kind of look at some of those connections and realize that what God says about Jesus is listen to him. Hey, behold, listen to this servant. Let me get your attention. Pay attention to this guy. Pay attention to this Savior. He's the one who changes everything. So focus on him. Behold this servant who's come into the world. One more place. We won't read this, but you can write it down if you want to. Matthew 12, verses 18 through 20, actually quotes Isaiah 42 and says, Jesus' ministry is exactly patterned after what's described here uh, in Isaiah 42. So the servant is on a mission to bring forth justice to the nations. And Jesus is introduced as that servant. So this morning when we think about the servant's mission, I want us to realize that we actually have the same mission. We are on the same mission to bring God's peace, God's justice, God's message of redemption to the entire world. But we also see that the servant has a method in verse 2 and 3, a method. And what we see is that his method is to be gentle, to be gentle. You know, so many kings of the time during Isaiah's time were brutal, absolutely brutal. They ruled by terror. It was literally a reign of terror, trying to scare their subjects into obedience. But Isaiah says that this servant who comes is going to be different. Look at what he says. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Two little word pictures there. It talks about a bruised reed he will not break. If you want to think about out in in the plant and animal kingdom, uh, I grew up and we had cattails uh, in some of the marshes and, and places where I lived. And I know there's plenty of things like that around here. Cattails are reeds that blow in the wind. And if, if you've ever seen a, a plant like that, like tall grass, when the wind blows, it bends all the way over. It's super flexible. And guess what? It's real easy to just snap it off, isn't it? God says people are like a fragile reed. They bend, they blow whichever way the wind goes. They're easy to break off. But guess what? The servant 
knows how fragile we are. And it says he will not break us off. Another, another uh, illustration that's given there, it says, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. You know how easy it is to blow out a candle? Or if you're trying to burn a candle in the wind, it can get blown away so easily. You know, in a time where we're facing a disease that we don't quite understand, we realize how fragile life is. And God says, I'm sending this servant to fragile, broken people. And guess what? He's not going to extinguish them. He's going to give them life. But make no mistake about it. He says that even though he is gentle and he deals with broken people, he is not weak. He is not weak. And we see that uh, in the next thing here that we see that the servant comes on a mission. The servant has a method of being gentle and caring tenderly for those who are broken and hurting. And we also see that the servant will succeed. Jesus came to love broken people, and we're called to imitate that method, care for the weak. We're going to have opportunities to do that in the days ahead. Care for the weak. But then we also see that the servant will succeed. You know, although he loves the weak, he himself is not weak. And although he loves the faint, he himself will not grow faint, verse 4 tells us. He will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. You know, and again, in ancient times, it's actually not a whole lot different today. If you have a new king or a new ruler who wants to come in and really uh, show their power, what are they going to do? They're going to conquer. They're going to wipe out. They're going to take advantage of people. They're going to dominate people. But what is this servant doing? This servant is confident in the integrity of his message. He knows that what he's proclaiming is powerful enough to save the world. He doesn't need to use military might or force. This servant is going to proclaim justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law, it says. The word there is actually Torah. Uh, Torah is the word for law in the Old Testament. It really means teaching. The coastlands wait for his teaching. I love that, that phrase. Because um, if you think about it, um, what are the farthest away places that you could imagine? It's probably... Something on the other side of the world, right? But for Isaiah, think about the people in Isaiah's time. They didn't travel by airplane. They didn't travel across country. Apparently, we might not be able to very much longer either, right? Uh, but they were stuck in one area pretty much for their whole life. Some of them probably spent their entire life in a village, never traveled. But they heard stories about the islands out there in the Mediterranean Sea. Maybe some of them actually got to go to the oceans or to the sea and see uh, uh, the Mediterranean Sea and, and imagine what laid out beyond the glimpse of their eyes. The islands are the farthest away places they could probably imagine. And God says that even those people who live on the islands in the farthest away corners of the earth, they are waiting for the teaching of this person, of this servant who's coming. They might not even know they're waiting for it, but they are. The coastlands wait for his law. That word wait actually can be translated as expect or hope. Um, they are hoping for the way that Jesus is going to bring. So this morning I would ask you is what are you hoping in this morning? Are you hoping in the wisdom of man? Are you hoping in uh, people who could deliver you from whatever we face right now? Or have you placed your hope in this servant? 
Because you know, more important than any tactical plan you could have, any uh, physical health plan you could have. By the way, those are important. It's important to have plans for your health and for your physical well-being. But even more important than those things right now is your eternal hope. Where is your eternal hope? Are you hoping in people? Are you hoping in yourself? Or are you hoping in Jesus? He's the only one who can save you for all eternity. He's the only one who can serve you and provide redemption, which he did when he died on the cross. You know, uh, this morning as we think about this servant who's coming, he's on a mission, the servant has a method, and the servant will succeed. You notice in these passages it says he will establish justice in all the earth, even to the ends of the earth. God says, I want to use you as part of Trinity Church, as one of my people. I want to use you to do this. And so this morning, I think God wants us as a church to continue to grow, to continue to grow even through this, this process that we have right now. And I think what we need to do is look to Jesus. Because, you know, if we're like plants in a greenhouse, where does our source of light, of, of strength come from? It's, it's from the sun, from the sun, right? We can't survive without him. And so I think as we walk through these days, remember that God wants you to continue to grow closer to him to grow by leading others to him. Um, but we do that by focusing on him. And that's really what happens. What we see here in this first servant song is, behold, look at this servant. Look at who he is, what he's come to do. And I have good news for you this morning. Jesus has done it. He's already done it. All we have to do is trust that he's done it on our behalf and you will be saved. So look to Jesus during these times. I want to give you some kind of just final words uh, before we dismiss this morning. So Isaiah 43, which is uh, two chapters later, or one chapter later, uh, verses 1 through 3. Just a, I think these are words that have encouraged me a lot, and I love it since they're right next door to where we've been all morning. I want to read them and just realize that the reason we don't have to fear is because we know the servant. We know this person that we call the suffering servant, and his name is Jesus. And so Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. So this morning, I'm going to close this in prayer, and then uh, we're going to go out from here. And I would just encourage you, fear not. Fear not, because you know the Savior. You can know the Savior. If you don't know him, come talk to me before you leave here this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises, the promises that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, we pray uh, uh, and give you thanks that you have redeemed us, you have called us by name. And Lord, I know that you're here to walk through anything that we face this week and in the days ahead with us. And God, I pray that we would trust you, we'd rely on you. God, that we would focus on you and your son. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Be the presence of Jesus as you go out from here. You are dismissed.